With all the consumer and marketing research data out there, what should brands focus on to build brand equity and consumer loyalty? In this episode, seasoned marketing and advertising executive and the CEO of Cancer South Africa, Ivan Muroke, joins me to share some of the trends that brands and agencies should apply their minds to. Companies and the brands that are strong on different, like your, like your Woolworths, like your um, F&B, which is, as I said, the number one uh, on um, the most valuable brand this year. Nando's because of the communication, they reap the rewards. So difference yeah, yeah. is one of the most important things that any brand can do. We also delve into how marketers can prove the value of brand building in a tough economy. The key trend that needs to do is for marketeers to absolutely show how that brand equity ultimately contributes to the bottom line. To get insights on building resilient brands in a tough economy, keep listening. If you haven't subscribed to The Lead Creative yet, please do. It really helps us to bring more inspiring guests. Welcome to The Lead Creative Podcast, where we talk to creative industry leaders, influencers, and brands. We discuss the strategies that influence brand thinking and shape industries. Thought leaders and heads of agencies let us in on some of their thinking and insights. I'm your host, Mungir Simtati. Enjoy the show. And please share and subscribe. Ivan, thank you so much for making time to join us on The Lead Creative. Yeah, what an honor to have you on the show. I mean, I've been looking forward to talking to you because your name actually keeps coming up quite a lot when I talk to people in the industry. There was a conference <laughs> So, so yeah, I've been, so this is, this is really exciting for me. And just to start us off, I mean, you've been in marketing for a long time. Can you paint us a picture of how marketing has changed in your view between the time you started and today? Well, I'm going to, at the risk of simplifying it a bit, it was, uh, it used to be quite simple. Yeah, You've got something you want to sell, you put it out there, and especially if it's unique, you tell people about it and people buy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as you can imagine, I mean, that's been quite simplistic, but it was really about a push out strategy that we used to do. And yeah. I think the more things changed, including parity with products, with services, you know, you've got to now have to do beyond just what the products and its intrinsic and extrinsic benefits. And lately, there are so many other things that have influenced marketing, including data now i think there is so much data in terms of making decisions that should be based on data and not on gut feel Mm -hmm. there's an issue of sustainability that has come up how tech and digital has impacted consumer behavior sure and if it has impacted consumer behavior brands have had to adapt to it and there's also um Competition, which sometimes you might not even see where it's coming from, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where p- p- barriers to entry in different um, categories are a bit low, so you never know who's going to come in. And the lines are blurring between different sectors and all that. So it's quite a lot. And the big thing uh, as well, which I suppose we'll touch on it later, is the, is the demand of business for marketing to be far much more commercially 
responsible. Mm-hmm. The ROI. Yeah. That's the yeah. single biggest debate I think marketeers marketeers now have uh, are faced with to say it's um, it's not enough to say we are building the brand building awareness. Like how does it translate to sales? So there's quite a lot where your typical CMO has got to deal with that. Like in the past, good product, good communication. That is to guarantee success in the past. You mentioned something about this reliance on data that I was going to ask a bit later on, but I might as well ask it now. This reliance on data versus gut feel. What are the the it's said that data helps a lot with the creative process with enabling yeah. us to get to an insight quicker. In some ways though, when you look at the communication, when you look at the advertising that we are served as customers, even as marketers, you realize that there was a huge reliance on the data rather than the insights. What are the what are some of the ways to sort of to curb this or to change it or to improve it for brands and agencies? You know, there's a simple way to look at it, really. If you just a simple continuum data, insight, and strategy and execution. It's as simple as that. It's not complicated. Yeah. Not, unfortunately, sure. sometimes as marketers, we we tend in terms we tend to complicate stuff unnecessarily. Yeah. And there's a reason why we do that. But I digress. I think data, how on earth anybody, if you have an option of making any decision in life, yeah. professionally, personally, when you have the data, why wouldn't you use that? I mean, why wouldn't you yeah. consider that data? It, it sounds, at best, it sounds arrogant, right? Sure. To be doing, sure. spending money and doing things while data is available, you are not using it. However, absolutely, you are right. If you think just taking that data and everything uh, that is supposed, data is an input to insights. Mm. Because even data, yeah. you know, there's a saying that the world is data rich, but inside poor. So you have to take that data so that you can come up with, with human insights that can connect the brand with that. But even that insight itself is not an end in itself because we do not do insights to write academic papers, right? Yes. I mean, insight is only <clears throat> insight if it's a foundation for growth, for strategy, for selling, for creating things. So once that insight is done, then there should be an inspiration for these crazy people who are amazing called creatives, where they can take that insight, because even if you have to do communication, translating just that insight directly, <laughs> that yeah. that might not be enough, right? That's why you so, need that magic. It's the old thing. Nothing's new under the sun in terms of logic means magic. Really, it's, it's as straightforward as that. So you need the data to inform the insights, and then the insights to be a foundation for for growth and for creative, for impact. For people who are far much more creative than me, if I had to do, I might be able to distill insights. But the last thing a brand needs is it's a create it's a work that's creative work, maybe in comps in ad that yeah. has been done by me. Yeah. No, no, that's the worst thing. <laughs> it, will be, <laughs> it will be right, but it might not be impactful. And that's why you've got to collaborate uh, with people who are more talented in terms of their creativity. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just noting that the, I think the, the reliance on, I think on, on, on data in a way that it looks like the insight element is missing now because we've got so much yeah. data. Um, yes. Yeah, that, that's, that's. I think that's kind of one of the things that, that when you look at information or when you look at 
ads or brand communication that is served to us as customers, they try to, some brands try to personalize it. And I want to talk about this, this area of personalization. Some brands try to personalize it, but you can tell that, oh, I was, you know, searching for this car and now I'm being served these things. I've already bought this product. So like, that's a reliance on data rather than the, the insights that, okay, because I bought this, I might also be looking for that and that and that. And we've got all yeah. this data available. So are we relying more on data because we've got it available and almost translating that data or, or at least using that data as insight without getting to the actual insights? Yeah, it's, you know, and to be fair, I think things have shifted. Do you remember about five years ago when everybody was... They big data, big data. Things progress, right? Because at the time it was like uh, we generate as agencies generate data, consumers generate data, clients themselves in the interaction with their customer generate data. So I can understand why the obsession about data. But once things have made sure to say, is there so what? The data is just, it tells you yes. the what are things. And it doesn't matter how you mm-hmm. get the data, whether qualitatively or quantitative, it doesn't matter. Data is data. Yes. And we've yeah, always used yeah. data, to be honest. It's just the difference of big data, where is so much generation. Yeah. But what has not changed is data has to be interpreted to say, what is the insight? And you know the beauty about the insights? When you find the insights, you'll know. It's, it's, it's not data. You, you'll find out that yes, yes. going through that, and normally insights, you find it by when you're trying to lay different data points, right? And that's the beauty about Inside, because that magic comes through when, because, like, for example, you cannot just base your insight in terms of maybe quantitative data or yeah. research that has been done, because there might be a lot of claiming from consumers when you ask them questions. But imagine if you take that and look at their behavior. I mean, yes. surely common sense tells you that's far much more powerful than just looking at their behavior only to get insights or just looking at what they say to look at it or just observations or social listening. It's not, it's, it's, and the creativity in strategy, that's where it comes in, right? Is how do I take all these different data about the same consumer and come up with something that gives you that, ah, aha moment. I would not have figured it out if I had not overlaid all this different data. So all these things. It's less yeah. about the data. It's more about what you do with the data to come with an insight that you can brief. And even then on insights, it's how you brief a person who's supposed to execute on it, right? I mean, I've been, I've worked in advertising mm-hmm. before and I knew about the one page that you must give somebody. And sometimes um, researchers and strategists, sometimes we can be a bit too to obsess with the tons and tons of information while the creative to say, can you give me one page and tell me what to do? I'll do the magic. (laughs) And distillation of that, that's a craft and a skill in itself. Over the years, of course, you've you've, you've been involved in the industry in various parts of the industry. And this question is probably not an easy one to answer, but um, I'm going to ask it anyway. What trends? (laughs) No, because 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 I think I think the (laughs) I think I think the magic is in is in finding a way to answer this question because you are looking at a lot. So so what trends have you noticed over the past few years that will affect brands going forward if they don't apply their minds to them? 
seeing as you know it's the start of a new year it's um there's so much data and so many things we've been talking about data quite a bit um but what are some of these trends that brands should apply their minds to and if not they might become irrelevant well one of the big ones and and the thing is 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 both internally and externally internally i think i've alluded to it before where marketeers now are being called to show ROI, right? And the problem with that conversation has been, unfortunately, people who are not marketeers, like, and rightfully so, the financial guys in a company might be looking at more of performance measures, matrix. They'll be interested in those to say the sales, okay? Like, especially like on digital, let's do digital because it can lead to sale and where they might have to neglect issues of the brand. The issue is not either or, and I think that's why the problem is, it's like we have this zero-sum games to say, is it sales or is it uh, brand equity? It's both, because what brand equity does, it gives you a predisposition over, even over a long time of the very same sales you are looking for, right? While just doing some high-performance perf- uh, marketing, yeah, you might score in the short term. The problem is, as I mentioned before, where there's so much uh, similarities in terms of the sector that you might in is when that brand, that emotional connection makes a difference. So, but the key trend that needs to do is for marketeers to absolutely show how that brand equity ultimately contributes to the bottom line. There's one. I think marketeers have got to be far much more commercially sussed in terms of showing the impact of brand building and with sales. That's one of them. The other issue is the issue of value. And especially if you consider, I mean, worldwide in terms of um, the world is in a flux uh, economically and even worse, I mean, in SA, in SA it's tough because, you know, is the world, macro world pressures and then you have the South African pressures itself and then you've got company pressures and brand pressures. So we are in it. So value becomes extremely important. And I'm consciously saying value, not um, cheap. So you really have got to show your brand. If you're going to be investing in the brand, you have to give people um, a reason to believe that they are willing to pay a bit more premium for your brand, even in these tough times, because it's worth it. So value becomes quite important. The other one is um, sustainability. It's amazing how just about three or four years ago, where sustainability used to be a nice to have, right? where it is to be um, maybe uh, CSIR in companies and it might actually be house in corporate, not necessarily in brands, but more and more brands have woken up thanks to the millennials who have shown that, yeah, over and above the intrinsic and extrinsic benefits I get from a product, then, but I'm also making brand choices based on your sustainability agenda, right? So, and that's exciting in terms of their choice, sustainability and brand becomes one. And of course, tech, including AI. Now it's, I mean, everybody's talking about AI and its impact on marketing going forward. Whether it's going to, it's like a friend of me. I mean, there's many people who are, who take it as a friend, as, as many who take it as, as an enemy. So those are the couple, kind of, yeah. couple of things that, you know, you have to, you have to keep in mind. And those are the big trends that are going to impact, I think, uh, going forward. 
If you're enjoying The Lead Creative, please share this episode with your network and hit follow or subscribe. Enjoy the show. On the subject of ROI or proving value as 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 marketers, um, one of the yeah. issues that that you've 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 picked up on is obviously the the economic pressures that consumers yeah. and brands are faced with. How do marketers then, in this time, with so much riding on you know on on whether marketing is providing value for the business or not? What are some of the measurable things or some of the things that marketers can say, marketers can prove to brands as, as points of value in these times when brands are so, so, so facing such, you know, strain financially? Yeah, that, that's, a good, that's a good question. And fortunately, we've got such empirical evidence about the power of brand building. And if you invest in your brand... What is even more important is how it can, um, it has been proven with scientific evidence with our brain Z, and I'll t- talk a bit about what brain Z is about, which is shows without a share of doubt that it has been recorded across the globe in all stock markets that there's a direct correlation with the power of brand equity and it goes up and its share value. But also what is important is also how it is able to absorb downturns. Mm-hmm. Brands that are tough, that are stronger and have got high equity, they can, um, when there is headwinds coming in, they can, even if they go down, they go down less than the brands with weaker brands. So there's empirical evidence that shows that. And Brand Z is exactly what it does. And so in a nutshell, what Brand Z does, I, I think counter Brand Z is, and we had it this year, as well, it's been, I think, I think our fourth year in South Africa where we have uh, Brenzi, the top uh, 30 most valuable brands. At the core of what it is, it combines the capitalization value of a brand. It, it allocates it to, to that, plus the brand con- uh, contribution, which is how customers rate that brand. And then they combine it and it gives, it gives a value. And it's, it's uh, yeah, this year, so and every year once we publish it, we are one of the few countries around country that do have uh, the local brand values. And this year, the number one was, uh, was F&B. And every time we come up with uh, some of the key highlights that you are seeing across uh, the brand evaluation. And as I said, fortunately, there's enough evidence to show that you don't even have to guess or uh, especially since it starts inside, to show what I've been saying before, the direct correlation between brand and the bottom line. That is key. And I think it goes back to marketeers being able with confidence to have those kind of conversations about and not being shy to talk about ROI, right? And Mm -hmm. sometimes, as I said before, I find marketeers might be a bit more comfortable to talk about the brand ROIs Yes. or even creativity and comms, but not comfortable to be talking about the commercial uh, contributions of, of those brands, I think, to, to the bottom line. Yeah. I'm glad you, 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 you mentioned the, you know, the top 30, at least uh, on the South African front, of Brenzi, because I'm looking at the, uh, the infographic of the top 100, and one of the things that struck me of course, uh, which would make sense is this that the top 100 is global brands, brands that, you know, brands that we 
sort of a lot of us grew up on and grew up loving with some um with some exceptions here and there like Netflix um and all of that which are newer brands in comparison to some of the bigger ones that are here what are what are some of the similarities that you're seeing on a global front versus a local front in terms of the most valuable brands and brands with the most equity so the, the there's a model that we use is called uh, MDF. So what it does, so the combination of the brand equity is based on three important things. One is silence, right? And silence is how well known. And maybe the closest thing that people might think about is is awareness, but it's more more than awareness. So silence is like how quickly and easily a brand comes to mind when making a purchase, right? So it's quite important to build that. The other one is meaningful. So it's the foundation of the brand. And it's like, how well does it meet um, the consumer needs, both on a functional and emotional level, right? So that's, that's the second part. The third part of it is different. And different is the extent to which uh, brands are seen to offer something that others don't offer. And it might be real, it might be perceived, right? And the difference might be functional, or it might be emotional, right? And what is absolutely across different markets that shows the impact of difference. Silence is important, meaningful is different. That's that's good. And even in, in SA, all the top brands, they show they are strong in meaningful and silence. But without doubt across the world, it shows the importance of difference. And think about it. It's, and as I said before, in, in a... Um, in an era where it is so, uh, where there's so much parity, whether in different sectors and all, it's, it's actually by intuition doesn't, it's not surprising about how different, how important difference is. And my, my, may I say that in SA, we, we trend a bit lower than in other markets when it comes to difference. We are quite strong on meaningful. So even all our comms and all, they, they are fantastic in doing silence and doing meaningful, but we are a bit weak on difference. And the companies and the brands that are strong on difference, like your, like your Woolworths, like your um, F&B, which is, as I said, the number one uh, on um, the most valuable brand this year, Nando's because of the communication, they reap the rewards. So difference yeah, yeah. is one of the most important things that any brand can do. Interesting, interesting, and in terms yeah. of this, 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 the salience, um, is it is it something that, of course, salience would be said that you know takes a long time to build. There are brands that that have yeah. been that are that are new, that have already that have already got to that point, um, and I don't, I mean, I can't think of South African ones necessarily, but ChatGPT, um, Netflix, yeah, um, uh, how. This, how long, I mean, I know there's no specific time, but how long does it take? Is it a matter of time that you build salience or is it a matter of how the consumer believes you've built it with them? Well, it's a, um, it's a good question. And it's, the answer is how long is a piece of st- uh, string? But it's interesting what you're saying about newer brands because you are right. I mean, if you're a new brand, you are up against like the the brands in that sector that, that might have been there for a long time and they come to mind quite quickly. But do you know what helps you in terms of being new? Think about the mm-hmm. brands that you've mentioned. Yes. What made, when you say GPT, when you said Netflix, 
You know what, what made it be like do be so quick, even in coming to mind, even if they are new and they might be sort of like, is that difference? Yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so it's like, it's like challenger brands, right? Mm-hmm. If you are challenger brands, you, you cannot fight as a challenger brand. I, I call it the David Goliath principle. You, you cannot find Goliath with the strength that they have. What seemingly is small with you, but yes. you are more agile, right? You must yeah. use that, I think, to fight against something that's because of their size, there are something that they might not be able to do, but you being smaller, you are a bit far more nimble and agile. So that difference is, that's how powerful it is, is that difference can allow you to really get, be well-known, be meaningful and salient. However, as I said before, you really, in this era of parity, you have to really do something that does come across as quite different. And, and, and unique, yeah. I must say, that's yeah. why communication sometimes is powerful because the difference might not necessarily be intrinsic. It might mm-hmm. actually even be perceived. And that's where the power of, uh, of marketing comes through. So a lot has been happening in the social media space um, over the past, call it year or so, and a lot of it happening yeah. on X, where brands have had concerns about brand safety. Some brands supposedly or having said to have left X, uh, pulled their budgets and all of that. What are some of the global and local implications of this? Yeah, the X thing is quite... <laughs> The thing is quite interesting because even just from a basic rebranding perspective, it, it was like it was. It seems like it was going against any conventional, conventional wisdom. But well, the owner is not necessarily renowned for being conventional, right? Funny enough, you ask about X because actually in the Brand Z uh, work that we did, we actually measure those three things on um, on the brand X since it moved. I think from Twitter to X, and of, and also remember, it wasn't just I think about the rebranding; it was also about all the other controversies that were surrounding it. And remember, with those three things that I mentioned, meaningful, different, and silent. You know what was uh, interesting was in terms of meaningful and silent, they went down since all the controversies and and and, and the rebranding. But one thing that has stayed uh, strong has been difference. So whatever people might be, and to be honest, even consumers have said um, the rebranding has impacted um, the predisposition and that claim use of the brand to say, you know, the the awareness when it dropped significantly, I think it was from 96% at the time to about 83%, 22 versus uh, uh, 23. And even consideration and claimed usage uh, declined for about 10%. However, the the difference still states, we showed you that it's going to be a long time up until we see a fundamental shift in terms of how consumers, at least not brands, I mean, brands I know have been uh, living in droves from being on X, but in terms of consumers, it's, it's so different. And I think consumers cannot see something that is an alternative to it among all the social media platforms and they sell different things so at least it's different up until something as strong or different comes along i still is i I personally i think it's going to be the 
is going to be there for a while. I think they might suffer, which they are suffering from their brands themselves, uh, playing it safe and not wanting to be associated with it. But from an end user consumer perspective, I, I think uh, X is going to be here for a while. For a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah and I'm, I'm, still seeing, I'm still seeing some brands on the platform. And I think, um, what's your opinion on a platform that's in some ways, because brands cite negativity and negative things that are happening on X as their reason for leaving, right? What are some of the sort of dangers, I suppose, or downsides of being a brand that stays when others are leaving, citing negative things happening on the platform? You know, I've, it's, it's quite an important question because it's a question I've actually even asked myself, not even just from being uh, in the industry, but being a, a consumer myself to say, do you, do you do that really? Or, or do you make, can you disassociate between a platform and that brand? Am I not like the platform but I'm not necessarily judging that brand by being on that platform. I don't know, to be to be honest. It's just, and that's a question I ask myself sometimes, right? I can understand why some brands might be living uh, in, in drugs and some might be even for um, social sustainability reasons or some thinking that that association might harm it. And the ones who are staying in my dev just have been saying like, consumers can tell a difference, right? Yes, yeah. Consumers yeah. can tell a difference between what we as a brand and a platform and consumers can make a distinction. I don't know, but sometimes I feel I might even default to that to say, consumers are smart, right? I don't think they are going to, if you're a brand, you're advertising on that. It must be for, unless it's for all, all the other uh, reasons that you might be having. But to say consumers are going to associate that platform with your ads, uh, I suppose I can pose the same thing about some channels, right? Yes. Different yeah. media channels, whether local or international, uh, people still do advertise on them to consumer sees because you're advertising on this channel. Uh, I'm I not going brand, to follow you. Brand, I, I don't know. Yeah. Dude, yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, it's, uh, I think there should be as much for or against the argument. Me as a person, does it impact me? No, I still do. I judge uh, the brands that I follow that I like harshly because they're on there. Not really, but I'm a sample of one. Yeah. <laughs> Just going back to the uh, to the Brand Z report and some of the insights that you mentioned there, and this and 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 the measurements that you use, the meaningful, salient, and different. How do brands? How do I suppose local brands first of all, and brands that don't have a global footprint, brands that are smaller than you know the the top ones that you've mentioned, like F and B and Nando's apply yeah. some of these findings in their strategy. Oh, and by the way, here's something you must keep in mind about Brand Z. One of the things about Brand Z, not the global one, right? The South African most available brand, that the one that FNB is number one on. The key thing, they have to be locally born brands. So, the, 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 yeah, the South African one does not have any international brand at all. All of them are local brands. That's quite important. And sometimes we always get a funny question about uh, it's about black label because people own it so much, they always assume it's a South African brand. But when you try these roots, it's actually a Canadian brand. So they are all local. They are all local. And if you think about it, uh, the, 
they are made, remember I said that it's made of two things, right? It's in terms of the brand, is the valuation is made up of the brand contribution, which is far much more from the desire uh, that uh, consumers feel about that brand. And you multiply it by the market capitalization that has been allocated to that brand, and then you get the value. Now, obviously, there will be some brands that are their market cap will always be huge, like financial services and telcos, and that's why you find that they normally feature so high by their nature, that part of the evaluation is significant, right? But we have seen some brands that they might not have that, but in terms of their brand contribution, they might even challenge, I think, the bigger brands which are at the top because of their market capitalization. So again, showing you that the brand contribution have got a fundamental impact on brand equity, which is um, a value that is even on the balance sheets. I mean, when uh, companies are being evaluated anyway, so there is a direct relationship to building the brand and how and its impact on the bottom line or on shareholder value. So you are right to say, even if you have you might not be as big, but you are smaller. But I think in brand building, that's where things like differentiation that we are talking about becomes quite important, where you can absolutely, I think, um, um, punch way above your weight. If you're enjoying The Lead Creative, please share this episode with your network and hit follow or subscribe. Enjoy the show. Considering the cultural diversity in Africa, how should global brands adapt their strategies for local markets without losing their global identity, without losing the things that we love about them at a global level, but being locally relevant still? Yeah, that's an important, that's an important question because, and especially sometimes even within the continent, doing well, the continent, you always get the... Um, you always get the the popular question that yeah, but Africa is not a country, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah, but but I always say it might not be a country, but sometimes it is like a country. And the reason why I say that is what connects the continent is far much more stronger and cuts across than what makes it different. So the same thing is on global. To your question about global brands. What connects human beings, not just even Africa? It's human insights, right? So a global brand is based on the very similar things, right? It doesn't matter where you are across the world, continent, or where you are. There are some things that, and this way, great insights and great uh, brands are built on is on that human truth, right? So it should not be so. The core of that brand should be on that level. However, you absolutely, in terms of activation and articulating, you've got to think of local nuances. Of course, you've got to do it. And that's where even your marketing mix might be different, right? I think if you're going to be doing like a thematic big brand ad, obviously not just for efficiencies, but for connections, you'd want to do that big thematic ad that can talk uh, as much as he's talking to Lagos, as he's talking to Morocco, as he's talking to Soweto, as he's talking to Sao Paulo, it's, it's like, and, and you see it quite well in terms of, if you think about some of the 
alcohol brands, does, does it matter? I mean, if you, you, you see an ad and it's, a, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thematic ad about a brand that everybody loves. But obviously, if you are going to be doing something like to have, maybe you are doing some bespoke activation in a country and all that, of course, you've got to consider the nuances in that country. Again, is and is not all, right? So because it doesn't make sense to be trying to build a pan-African brand, and then you've got to um, do campaigns that are specific to each of, of those markets, if you are a pan-African brand. But just be clear that, you know, when you localize it is in terms of on the ground. And sometimes as well, you have to think about if you're doing a global thing of, uh, even at a global level, articulation, must, you must be careful. Though the human truth might be the same, but some things might, some, that might be offensive to, to other markets. It's, it's logic. It's just common sense, as I said before. Mm. Sometimes I think yeah. we complicate things unnecessarily. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned uh, AI a bit earlier on when we, when we started talking. Um, how is AI and machine learning transforming the space of markets and consumer research? And what are some of the implications that you're seeing as a result? Like how has, how has it changed things or have you, haven't you not seen a change so far? All I can say is we haven't seen nothing yet in terms of the power of what AI can do, and just broadly in marketing, but your question about in terms of, of research is, 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 is truly amazing. Like, for example, there is something on um, optimization of media, right? In, optimi- in optimizing media, you might be looking at things from what has happened. How have you spent your budget across different media, like mixed media modeling? And then what are the learnings you can do? What we have and we can see is with AI, it can absolutely even be able to generate with low margin in terms of going forward what you should be doing. And that's because of AI. And that can show you if you invest this, if you mix this like this, what you might be getting in terms of the impact on business, which is absolutely amazing, which is incredible. So and also in terms of AI and its efficiencies, right? Because what it does, you remember in research, um, it goes back to what we are talking about. It's, not, it's less about the data, but about the insights. And if AI can make sure that the people that you have, they spend more time in terms of doing those insights and unpacking them instead of having to be doing that compilation of the data and work that mm-hmm. could be done faster yes. and cheaper and more efficient. So you liberate people to be spending time on things that they that they love doing anyway. Broadly speaking, marketing, I think the, the biggest issue, so in research is actually quite simple. There's no there's no issue. I think where I find where is more of a, a frenemy is on the com side, right? Where there are most obvious things and, and there is some merit in it to say this thing is going to impact people's livelihood on jobs. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and I think there is that Potential because some some of the things that you are seeing that I've seen coming out even out of Ken, I mean they they were not quite a lot, but where you can see some things where AI has been applied, it's been amazing. And sometimes you could see that, and even socially, how people are playing around with AI and producing some incredible, amazing thing. 
at a half of the fraction and so faster. Of course, the, the crafts peop, people are going to be impacted. However, I think it can be used to enhance creativity, right? It can be, and it can be even used to enhance strategy. It cannot replace it, but it can enhance it. And yes, might there be some jobs that might be in in trouble? I, I guess so, but will there be new jobs that are created because of it? Just like any other advancement that has happened in the history of mankind, as much as there have been jobs that have been impacted by uh, uh, tech advancement, there are new industries that came through. So for me, I think we, from a creative side, we have not seen yet the power. I mean, there were some couple of I'm trying to think of the brand, what it was. I think it was a Coke ad where they create, they use AI uh, to absolutely do the most amazing creative piece of work where I think was this guy in an art gallery and how the different arts were coming to life. You could see that it was a combination of man and a machine coming together. So everything at the end, I suppose it comes to end instead of either or. Yeah, I also, I think speaking of Coca-Cola and AI, I saw uh, something in a store that I was in a couple of days ago where they were advertising uh, a Coke that's made by AI. So, um, and they're calling it a taste of the future or something like that. So those are yeah. very many of the interesting things, as you point out, that we haven't explored in terms of AI or that we haven't yet seen. What strategies should brands adopt to ensure resilience and maintain customer loyalty and trust in these times of economic downturns, you know, this cost of living crisis that we're living in? What should brands be doing? How should, what should they focus on in their strategies at this time? Value, value and value. It is what it comes down to, especially if you combine the kind of if you combine brand equity and you combine, um, which is a fundamental, truly fundamental uh, tool of growth, and you combine it with the kind of macro environment that you are in, it does come to value, right? Because there's still a human thing. Um, brands, what they do, they connect with people at a heart and mind level. And as long as it makes sense about people are prepared to even pay a, a little bit extra, for you to even charge a bit of a premium, but it must make sense, right? And remember when you say value, it's not just functional value, right? Sometimes it's, it's emotional value, especially in these times where things are so hard. Some, you know, the lipstick um, index that used to be done when it, in 2008, when there was uh, the global downturn, where they were saying people are willing to spend on a small luxury because things are so bad, right? So even in these times, in there are some things, as long as it's, it's worth it, some, someone can see why they have to spend on that. They might come down on the big ticket items and really be tight, but in terms of everyday things that they might want to do, they might be willing to spend a bit far much more on something that doesn't just give them. Rationally, it makes sense, but it leaves the spirit and it makes sense and they can feel that it is because you're still people might not have money but you're still speaking about <laughs> human beings who who connects with brands on an emotional um, level as much as they do it in an interesting so 
it is very, and value can come in different ways. It might be how you build your brand. It might be an experience, right, that you do. If you are a brand and you create an experience, it might even mean collaboration that you are having. I mean, like, for example, who would have thought, I mean, if you look at loyalty programs and loyalty cards, who would have thought some years ago about there are most, some of the most unlikely collaborations that now we are so used to it? And it's not even surprising when you fill in at the garage and they ask you for a store cut and all this stuff. So all of these mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. value, adding value yes. to your life in different ways. And as I said, it, mm-hmm. it, it covers so many ways about adding, adding value. And value talks to anybody. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what level of income are you in. Even somebody who is, has got money. Uh, their criteria might be different, but nobody wants to be taken for a ride, right? Even if you are you are rich, sure, it's sure. like I might be yeah. buying a fancy, very high end, very expensive sports car, but there's a value that I'm attaching what I'm paying and for what I'm getting. It might be emotional what I'm getting. Hey, um, it doesn't have to be one one dimensional. Yeah, yeah. Right? Are you? Are you so I mean, you are lucky if you're about to invest in in a very expensive uh, set of wheels. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 absolutely, 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 absolutely not, no. <laughs> um, so so when, da- when data, when you've spoken about data and when data works, yeah. uh, brands are able to, pers- to personalize their messaging and they're able to reach the consumer in ways that are valuable to the consumer. I mean, you've mentioned value just now. Um, what are some... What are some of the strategies or at least an idea or two that kind of come to mind where brands can personalize their message without it feeling as though they're infringing on the privacy of the consumer? Yeah, I mean, fortunately, consumers are protected with all the data uh, protection that you get across the world. And there's always a delicate balance um, in terms of feeling that some... And you feel it this, <laughs> you, let alone you searching something, you are having a conversation. I mean, doesn't it scare you when you're having a conversation and then <laughs> things start popping up, right? Start popping up, yeah. I, yeah. I, and that's a double-edged sword. So, and that's a delicate one, to be honest. I think it's when, and it's, it's how you do it, right? Like, for example, if you're going to be using digital to say, I'm offering you, something that will enhance your search or whatever. I think consumers can be a bit forgiving in terms of that. But when they feel that that information you got in a way that I'm not comfortable with it, like as I said, you know, our devices listening to us, that's where it really, it, it goes, it really, um, it, it does far much more harm than good. I mean, consumers are always willing to opt in into something that makes their life easier. It's just when that information, it sounds like it's been, we got it in an, a bit of an underhand ways. That's where you are really, I think, skating on thin ice in terms of that. But at the same time, I think consumers appreciate anything um, that takes out the friction in their world. As long as they feel like the, they are part it's of their opting their in, yeah. they are part mm-hmm. of it, they are, part, they are doing that with you to make their life easier. I think it's okay. It's just when it seems like it's been a bit underhanded. So Ivan, we have a a tradition um, on the show uh, where we ask our guests um, a question um, 
for someone or at least around in and around someone's work who they follow. And really, the question is that if you could ask any living person about... You, you, you can't ask me that question because <laughs> you've used it before. When you set it off, when you set it off, you set it off this way. So I think your quota is out. About, about well, I, have to, I, have, I have to ask this question because, because, uh, because I'd love to know who you would ask the question. So, so I have to ask it. And, and really the question yeah. is, if you could ask any living person about their unique take on marketing, creativity, or their creative approach to work or life, who would that person be? And what's the question that you would ask them? Yeah, that's, yeah, the, um, the only three things are life. I've got a couple who have, uh, who have passed on, but that's, uh, yeah. You know, I suppose... I suppose it would be, it would be um, the person who's got um, <laughs> who's got bad designs of doing rockets going up, but he's he's quite successful. Jeff Bezos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there's something about which I find extraordinary about Jeff Bezos. For whatever you might think about about him, he's successful in what he does. And it seems like how he does stuff is how he simplifies. I mean, one of of the most important clips I've seen is about him talking about being customer obsessed. And there are many of us who say this kind of things, but do not actually live by it. But it's like what he believes in of keeping maybe things a bit simple and really being customer obsessed. And it shows in terms of what he produces, right? that it works that way. So it would be about asking him, especially in terms of what we're talking about, about data and all that, how much really genuinely, because he he does sitting on a lot of data and he must be having all aspects around and all that. But to say, when does he actually override everything else and go on a gut feel? It doesn't mean he doesn't consider what is being said. But how much does a person like that, because in retrospect, and if you had to, people always will tell you about how there was a logical thing to be doing that. But it's like someone like that is like in terms of marketing, because he's one of the greatest marketeers, right? It's like, but how, when, and in what situations, and when did you do something that actually worked against what all the research data. and the data yeah. was saying? Wow. Yeah. That, that's a fascinating question. Um, no, okay, yeah. yeah, we'll share we'll share that question and hopefully uh, Jeff Bezos uh, answers that one. Um, Ivan, thank you so yeah. much uh, for making the time. There was a lot, um, I think, to take away from this conversation, but I think what I'm taking are those three key points uh, that you've mentioned from Brenzi, salient, meaningful, and different. Um, thank you for making yeah. the time to talk to us. It's been it's been good and and. Uh, and good luck with your shopping of your fancy wheels. No, never. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Lead Creative. Did you get one insight that's worth sharing from this episode? Please share it with your network or your friends. Pop me some of your ideas and innovative finds on Twitter. 
on at Mongezi. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find me on mongezi.com.